Hey friends, welcome back to the Pulpit to Pew podcast and this week's adult Bible study as we begin a brand new six-week series on the prophet Elijah. Each week, each Sunday, I post what I taught in my Sunday school class. We just finished a long series in the book of Romans and now I'm beginning a six-week mini-series on the prophet Elijah and I'll be posting it right here on the podcast. So I just finished teaching it here a few hours ago at church and now I'm posting it. But if you're a new listener, we have some new listeners, just so you know that I also post on Thursday mornings and we are journeying through the Bible and our journey has taken us to Ezekiel as of this morning. And so I will record a little bit about the book of Ezekiel coming up and then I'll post it on Thursday. So make sure you check back for that. But thank you for being a part of the podcast. I hope this six week study is a help and encouragement to you, and maybe you'll learn a little bit about the prophet Elijah. So without further ado, let's jump into the very first study in the prophet Elijah. All right, let's take our Bibles, go to 1 Kings chapter 16. 1 Kings 16 as we start this brand new six-week series on Elijah. Now in six weeks, I'm not going to necessarily be able to cover every detail of Elijah's life. We'll be able to cover more than than uh, if I was teaching like on David, my favorite Bible character, and things like that to study. But I think we're going to be able to cover some topics that are, that are helpful to us and help us to understand Elijah's life a little bit more. But you know, when you think about these men and women of the Bible, they sometimes, and I've grown up in church, and many of you have grown up in church, so you look at these men and women of the Bible, and they almost feel like distant figures, if I can use that word, that, that we can't identify with, that... That sometimes we look at them as like these story characters that are bigger than life and they're fiction. But these are men and women that lived and walked and breathed on this earth. That they had great moments, but they had moments where they failed. They had moments when, they, they, um, when we can identify with them. And other moments were like, wow, how amazing that is. And Elijah was one of those. And as I said in the kind of the commercial we gave last week at church for the different study, I said that, James, years later, thousands of years later, wrote about Elijah, and he said he was a man of like passions. And I'll get to that here in just a little bit. He had some of the same struggles that you and I have. And so I, some of you, if you've studied a little bit of the Bible, or if you've studied Elijah, you know that in a couple of weeks we're going to get to that famous story where he challenges the prophets of Baal, and they call down fire from heaven. I absolutely love that story, and we'll cover it. And we look at that and say, well, I just can't do that, so I can't identify him. But in chapter 19, he sat by a tree... And say, God, just kill me. He was depressed. Some of us can identify with that. And so I don't think that the Elijah of chapter 18 is any different than Elijah chapter 19. And I think there's similarities in both. But what made him stand out and why I want to discuss him is he's a man of faith. And though he struggles at times, we say, at least we say, we are men and women of faith. And we need to walk by faith. And so I want to study his life a little bit. But let's look and uh, start in 1 Kings 16. Now Elijah will come onto the scene in a dramatic fashion in chapter 17. But you need to see the context. Because if we don't, do not understand, and here's, our, here's the offering right there beside, if you can hand that to him. If you don't understand the context of Elijah, then you kind of miss the beginning of it. And so let's look at chapter 16, starting in verse number 29. It says, And in the thirty and eighth year of Asa king of Judah, began Ahab, the son of Omri, to reign over Israel. Now, this is where I wish, I always say this like once a 
class period. I wish I had that whiteboard right here. And we could turn everything around, but it gets a little crowded. But if I could draw you a picture, I would draw you this picture of the, the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom oh, I should have went Israel up here and Judah down here. All right. And, and to understand where we're going here, and many of you, if you've been in my classes or listen to the podcast, you understand because I talk about it all the time, but the kingdom did split. So there was, there was the one kingdom, you had Saul, which was the first king, and then, and then David, and then Solomon. But after Solomon, his son got a little bit too wise, and he decided, well, I'm going to ask these older people, ask the younger people, and go with the advice of the younger people. He ended up splitting the kingdom. So you have the northern kingdom that was Israel, known as Israel. When you read through this part of the Old Testament, you're going to see him referred to as Israel, or someone like Ahab here, the king of Israel. Well, he was of the northern tribes. And then it said that um, at the time after the Asa was the king of Judah, that would be the southern kingdom. So the kingdom of Israel as a whole was split. And, and Ahab is one of the next king in the northern kingdom. In all the northern kingdom, when you study the Bible, not one single good godly king. All of the northern kings were wicked. And Ahab, notice what it says. Let's read on for a second about him. In verse 30, it says, And Ahab the son of Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord, which you're going to hear about all those kings, but here's what it says, above all that were before him. That's how wicked this man Ahab was. And there's going to get some more language here in just a second, but that's the time period that Elijah's ministering to. It had the most, one of the most wicked kings of all of Israel, and you can't find a good king in all of the northern tribe of Israel. So that's who Ahab was, but it goes a step further. It says in verse 31, And it came to pass as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam. Jeroboam was with one of the sons of Solomon. or Yes, Solomon, so of, of the northern kingdom. But he says as if it's a light thing, like it's a no big deal to commit these sins. The son of Nebat, he says, He took a wife of Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Zidonians and went and served Baal and worshiped him. He says as if it's a light thing, like it's no big deal. He goes out and marries this woman named Jezebel. Now, every one of us, if you've been around Bible months, you hear the name Jezebel, you're like, uh-oh. I mean, no one identifies Jezebel as a godly woman. No one names their kid. No one even names their dog Jezebel, as far as I know. And definitely not their cats either. I mean, we don't name anything Jezebel because Jezebel is known as a wicked woman. She, there's, it just goes with the name. And she did more, and it says somewhere else, and it may say here in just a few minutes, but she, did, she introduced Baal worship to the northern kingdom, to Israel. Her dad was of the Zidonians, he was king, and he was a follower of Baal, this false god. And so Ahab married her and allowed, and Jezebel brought in this, these false gods. And so now Israel is going to struggle and struggle and struggle and struggle with worshiping Baal. And it started here with this couple. Actually, sadly, I said this is the northern kingdom of Ahab. It's going to leak down into the southern kingdom as well through, if I, could, if I went into the history of, of Israel, but it's going to leak down in there as well because Ahab's son and then this king from down here, Jehoshaphat's going to allow his daughter to marry them, and it's going to get ugly in a few years, but that's not in our study. And so it's just a wicked time right now, and Jezebel and Ahab are this power couple that are absolutely 
evil and they're destroying God's people and they have no concern about God no concern about the things of God they care about themselves and wickedness and that's what they're doing it says this it says so he they're worshiping this Baal and he says in verse 32 and he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal which he had built in Samaria and Ahab made a grove and Ahab did more now listen to this phrase Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. Imagine that on your tombstone. Okay, You did more to provoke God to anger than any other of the kings before you. I mean, this guy, but I think one of the reasons why, as we look into this, is he caused others to break those Ten Commandments. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And he openly and proudly introduced Baal worship. And he made up these groves, these places where they could offer sacrifices to these false gods. He, he put up stations where you could worship Baal. He absolutely defied the God of Israel, his history. And so it says in verse 34, it kind of talks a little bit about, more about this uh, Jericho thing. But then in chapter 17, out of nowhere, it says this, And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab. Now let's just pause for a second right there. So all of a sudden this guy comes out of nowhere. Elijah just comes onto the scene. He takes us into the throne room where Ahab is. No doubt probably Jezebel on his right hand side or she's somewhere nearby or she's definitely going to hear about this. But all of a sudden Elijah comes onto the scene and he is standing in front of of Ahab, this king that we just read about, did more to provoke the Lord God to anger. He had he worked, set up this uh, Baal worship and set up these groves, and now Elijah has found himself in that throne room. And here's what happens: He says, "As the Lord God of Israel liveth, he's already bringing up a god that Ahab doesn't worship. Before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word." That's his opening statement. So he comes into this king. Now, you and I, we may look at that and say, okay, no rain. All right, whatever. But no rain, no water, no condensation, no anything in that time period was a death sentence for thousands. They needed that water for their crops. They, they weren't running down to Walmart and buying food. They weren't running to McDonald's and getting a double quarter pounder with no bun, large fry, Large Coke Zero. I've ordered that a few times, haven't I? So they, they, weren't, they weren't getting all of that stuff. They needed rain for their crops. They needed rain to wash. They needed rain to drink. They needed that precipitation. They needed all of that. And he stands in front of the king and says, it's not going to rain. There's not even going to be dew until I say so. Now, I'm sure at first Ahab's like, get this guy out of here. I, I don't know how it was. The Bible doesn't tell us the, thro the, the scene after that. All it tells us after that is what I'm going to get into next week, that the word of the Lord in verse 2 then came to Elijah and told him to get hence and leave and go towards the brook Cherith. I love that story. We're going to get to that next week. But after that, all is, is, is God just tells him, hey, you better get out of town. And he gets out of town, and we'll get into that next week. But in this moment right now, Ahab just heard from God's prophet. He says, there's not going to be any rain until I say so. And I think Ahab probably brushed him off at first. But as the months go on, and you get to that year, and there's still no rain, 
and problems are going on in his kingdom, now he realizes, and he's going to call him later on, this guy's a troublemaker. That's what he called him, is a troublemaker. Now, with all of that setting, I want to give us an introductory in this first lesson about Elijah. And I want us to talk to us a little bit about this man, Elijah. What do we know? So far, he just came out of nowhere. And it tells us just a few things about him. We know, first of all, he was just a common man. He was just a common man. And that's why the reason I want to bring that up is because, as I said at the beginning, sometimes we look at these people and say, I can't identify with them. I'm not them. I'm not in the Bible. These guys made the Bible. They're like super special. No, Elijah's just like you and I. He just trusted God by faith. Thousands of years ago, like God expects for us to do today in our modern day. But he was a common man. His home, it says he was a Tishbite from the land of Gilead. That, that area, if you study it, it was a rough, mountainous area known for its high peaks and its low valleys. He was a mountainous man, maybe like a West Virginian type of guy or something. I don't know. Maybe he had a little bit of a drawl to him. But he was pretty rugged, which is kind of interesting because his very first scene, he just comes on pretty bold. But um, he's, he's a rugged man from the mountains and the valleys of this Tishbite in the Gilead. That's all we really know about his upbringing. It's all it really tells us. But the Bible does tell us, as I've already referenced in James, that he was a man subject to like passions as we are. And then he goes into what we're going to get to in several weeks, but that he prayed earnestly. So three and a half years later, he does pray, and it does rain, and we'll get into that. But he was just a guy like you and I. He had the same struggles. He had a temper at times. You ever have a temper at times? Don't nod your head right now, all right? Because right now your spouse is looking at you. Do you ever get discouraged? depressed do you ever struggle with loneliness because there were some times in elijah's life when he struggled with loneliness there was a time when he said and i don't know if i'll get to be able to get into this but he said i'm the only one left i'm the only prophet left I'm sure he felt pretty lonely in those days that he was standing there and that time when he was standing there and there was 400 prophets of baal plus more prophets beyond that and he was the only one on his side it may have led him to say that i'm the only one left and then obadiah had thousands of others and, he, and God had to remind him of that. But he, he faced some loneliness. He, he even, one of the, maybe why I like it, I like Elijah a little bit, there's several reasons why. This is not the actual reason why, but he was a little bit sarcastic too. And that is a negative trait that I may have a doctorate in, I think, and being a little bit sarcastic at times. And he was a little bit sarcastic because, even though, and we'll get to it in a few weeks, but when those prophets of, of Baal were jumping on the, on the uh, altar and trying to get fire to come down from heaven, he goes, hey, just keep, you know, maybe your God's asleep or something, you know, maybe he took a nap. And I just love that scene when he is, he's kind of getting after these guys a little bit and he's the only one standing on his side. So, but he was a common man is what I'm trying to get at. And, and why do I emphasize that in this introductory lesson? Because I want us to realize when we leave here in six weeks that God's not looking for these spiritual giants to make a difference. And I don't say that it isn't, that's, don't take that in the negative way. God's not looking for these spiritual giants. God's just looking for an everyday person that trusts him by faith and takes him at his word. And so I say that because sometimes Satan will whisper in our ears these lies that, you know, you're not good enough. Look at your past. Look at what you've done. Look, look at how you've been raised. Look at your parents. Look, there's all these excuses that come up that Satan would like to whisper that get us to feel like, hey, I'm not, I'm not an Elijah, so I can't serve God today. But, that, but if that's our take when we read the Bible, then we're taking it wrong and we're listening to Satan. Because God tries to show us, I think in all of the people, I, my favorite to study is David. But you know, David was a failure at times. 
And he absolutely failed. Elijah absolutely failed at times. All of the great men and women that you study absolutely failed at times. But what happens is, like Proverbs says, a just man falls seven times and riseth up again. These men and women get back up, get their eyes on the Lord, and God uses them. And there's no reason why. There's no excuse. Anybody in this room listening to me right now, there's no reason why you cannot be used of God. Whatever excuse you may try to tell yourself. Whatever excuse Satan tries to whisper to you, there's no reason. Say, well, my personality. No, it doesn't matter. Because God's used all kinds of personalities. Doesn't matter. And Elijah, God's not looking for all these. He's looking for someone that by faith will obey him and bring him glory. God chooses to work through surrendered men and women. That's the key. Is surrendered men and women that are surrendering to do God's will. So Elijah, first of all, he was a common man. I noticed, secondly, as we've already kind of read into, but he was a courageous man. He was a man that was courageous. He defied this foolish ruler. I mean, if you think about it, if you're standing in the room of a man that it says that he did more to provoke the Lord God to anger than any other kings of Israel before him, and then you know about his wife as well. And if you study Ahab and Jezebel at all, there's a time when a guy named... Remember the story of Naboth's vineyard? Naboth's vineyard. You have to keep that study that sometime. Which, by the way, it's a good time to give a little commercial. Next week, not a commercial for me, but we, I forgot to mention in our opening, our revival meetings start next Sunday. Is that correct? Am I right on that? And uh, Evangelist Brian McBride is going to be speaking, who's been a hero of mine since I was a little kid. And he's been coming here since I was a little kid. But uh, I thought of that because he preached a message when I was little about Naboth's Vineyard. And it's entitled, Not for Sale. I don't even know if you can hear it out there. It would be on cassette tape if you could find it. But it was called, Not for Sale. And it was about that story where Ahab and Jezebel, they wanted Naboth's Vineyard. And Naboth said, I'm not going to sell it. I can't sell it to you. It would go against what the law would do. And Jezebel had Naboth killed just so that they could get it. I mean, that's the type of people they are. And I was saying that to say, now you've got Elijah just walking onto the scene and saying, hey, you know what? It's not going to rain till I say so. And now all of a sudden, that he could be killed. Anything could happen. But he was courageous. He, he, he wasn't ashamed to stand up to this king. And so I think about our country today. We talked a little bit about it in the opening when John asked about that prayer request. We think about our country, and I don't want to go down this road too much. But I think it's safe to say that we are in need of Christians that are courageous in our country today. It, I think everything that's happening in our country today is trying to really, uh, a lot of it's to dumb down the message of Christianity, which isn't a message of hatred, by the way. It's a message of love. It's a message of condemnation if we reject Jesus Christ. But it's also a message of love that God sent his son to die for us. And, and But the, the message is being shut out, but we need courageous Christians in our modern day. We're not just looking back on Elijah's life just so we have some historical facts about a man so that we leave here and we're better at Bible trivia. No, we're looking back at his life and saying, why did God give us this story so it may help us today in our modern day to have courage to stand in our day? To have courage to stand for what is right. And as I often say, standing for what is right doesn't mean that you're obnoxious, doesn't mean you're full of pride, doesn't mean that you're a hateful human being. It just means that you believe what the Bible says and you don't budge on it. And I believe that you can do it in a loving and kind and gentle way. Share the truth of the gospel. And it may rub people wrong because of sin, 
But we need courageous men and women today. And Elijah, though he was just a common man, he was a courageous man that stood up against this foolish ruler and his wife. But he did all of that because, number three, he was a committed man. He was a committed man. We see this in his name, although he didn't get to choose to, he didn't pick his name, but his name means, My God is Jehovah. So the moment he stood into that room, and he was, when they said, Here is Elijah, his name was saying to Ahab, my God is Jehovah. Which, just think of how that would have rubbed Ahab. Because uh, Ahab has now made these groves to Baal and everything else to Baal. And now here walks a man whose name means, My God is Jehovah. You may say as a king that we're going to worship Baal, but he's saying by, by his very name, even giving his actual name when he walked into that room, he's saying, My God is Jehovah. He's making his choice. He was a committed man. And the question to me is, and to us, as we look at this just introductory lesson into his life and this opening scene is, are we committed to God? You say, well, I'm here in a Sunday school at 10 o'clock. Yeah, but, but no one was shooting at you to get out of your driveway to come here. It was, you were already up, so maybe you came. I don't know. Maybe you were interested in some of the classes titles, but are we committed if things get worse in our country? Are we committed if things get worse in our life, if difficulties come? I, uh, we've seen, and I talked about it a little bit on the podcast, but I won't get into the details of Nicole's family, but she mentioned uh, her prayer for her, for her uh, niece or family as they went through a tragedy with their five-year-old daughter. And I mentioned in the podcast the same moment I was praying and talking to a coworker about that situation that we were praying about, he told me that his family was going to the funeral of another five-year-old boy who went in to get tubes in his ears. That's all he was doing is getting tubes in his ears. And woke up the next morning, and there was blood in his ear, and so they took him back to the hospital and Riley, and they looked at it, and they said, well, it's just, I think it's just from the surgery. Went back home, went to bed, woke up the next day with blood in his nose and his ears. They rushed to the hospital, and before he got there, he was gone, just like that, because um, they had, Originally, when they did that surgery, they nicked an artery in the back of his brain, and they didn't catch it. And the five-year-old kid just went in for tubes. I think our niece here, my brother's daughter's had tubes put in her just like that, gone. Two five-year-olds in a week. How do we deal? How do you deal with that? Are, when I say, are you committed, I'm saying, are you committed? It's easy to say I'm committed when life's going good and the bills are paid and trials aren't there. But are we committed? Can we say, like Elijah, Jehovah is my God? When life starts falling apart. Because for Elijah, things, this week sounds good. And I'm not going to the next week's lesson on purpose. But everything sounds good right now because he sounds courageous and bold. But God's going to put him through some trials starting next week. And that's when the true commitment comes out. Are we committed to God here? What I, I kind of I like reading books. My wife and I have been reading books, and I kind of like those books that it's called like the Hero's Journey. I mean, it's not the name of the book, but that's the journey. And, and uh, there's some called the Coming of Age books or tropes or proses. I'm learning all my English terms, but uh, it's it's when someone comes and they're and they're being trained and they're kind of building up to becoming this person. And Elijah sounds like this great hero right now, but God's going to put him through some training over the next couple of weeks. But you see in that training and the difficulties that he is committed to God. I don't wish any difficulties on your life. But I, my question is, are you committed to him? Are you committed to him no matter what happens? 
And so he was committed, man. He, he stood, and, and we don't know the calling. I wish we knew. We, we won't know until we get to heaven. I wish I could see when God called him and said, go to Ahab. I want to know if he was like, Ahab, are you sure Ahab? Can I go to the southern king, talk to Asa? He's a lot nicer of a guy. Can I, I want to know what that's like. But all we know is he showed up because he was committed, and he pronounced this judgment. But then finally, I want to give you this. And I, I remember when I learned this, this little bit of a truth, someone showed me and it was helpful to me i think it was van geldren's that shared it but not only is elijah committed he was a common man he was a courageous man but he was a confident man he said well you already said that well look let me he was confident in god's word he says in verse 17 chapter 17 verse 1 again he says he said to ahab as the lord god of israel liveth before whom i stand so he's 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 giving confidence in the what god has said and when he pronounced this judgment, when I first kind of studied this in growing up, I was thinking of this, I thought, man, what if, that's a pretty bold move. Because if you stand in front of the king and you say, it's not going to rain until I say so, and then it starts raining, you kind of look like a fool. So he had to be very confident in God's word. And, but what did he place his confidence in? Because everything that we teach nowadays and every time we, we talk about uh, prayer, we talk about having confidence in God and faith in God and God's word, but we don't see the interaction that he had with God, so we don't know how it was. We don't know if God just showed up. Like this morning on the way to church, I was listening to Ezekiel. It's where I'm at in my Bible reading. Very difficult start, by the way, This starting your day with Ezekiel. But Ezekiel had God come and say to him, I'm going to use you. Here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to say. Which, by the way, Ezekiel had to do some crazy stuff. I don't have time to get into that. But he said, I want you to do this. He knew directly from God. We don't know how Elijah found out. But here's what we do know that Elijah knew. And I'm going to listen to this. You can turn if you want. But in Deuteronomy chapter number 11, in Deuteronomy chapter number 11, there was something that all these Jewish, these people back in that day would have known because they studied the Bible. Remember, as a kid, as a Jewish boy, you had to memorize the Torah. You had to memorize the first five books of the Bible. They, he knew this. And here's what Deuteronomy 11 says in verse 16. It says, Take heed to yourselves, that your heart be not deceived, and ye turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. He said, be careful, don't turn aside, don't be deceived, don't worship false gods. He says in verse, 11, uh, verse 17, now listen to this. And then, so if you choose to do that, and then the Lord's wrath be kindled against you, now watch, and he shut up heaven that there be no rain, and that the land yield not her fruit, lest ye perish quickly from off the good land which the Lord God giveth you. Did you hear what he said? He said, hey, if in Deuteronomy, what every Jew would have read, every Jew would have known. Ahab should have known this. So Elijah, growing up, his name means God is Jehovah. So his parents have raised him and he studied this. He knows that the book of Deuteronomy says that if we worship these false gods, God will shut up the dew and the rain from heaven. So I don't know this. I'm saying this as a thought. We don't know this. The Bible doesn't tell us. God may never have visited with him like like what happened to Ezekiel I just told you about, and said, hey, go say this to him. Probably did, but he may not have, because Elijah would have known the promise and the scripture from Deuteronomy. And so when he went before that king, risking his life, he went trusting by faith what he knew the Bible that he had said. And he believed the God of the Bible. If you said, if we worship these false gods, that you're going to shut up heaven, and he introduced false gods bail to us and he stood before that king and said based on what god has said 
it's not going to rain. That's pretty bold. That's confidence in what God has said. And I wonder if you and I have that same type of confidence in the Word of God. And that's why it says later on when James said he was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed that it would not rain and it didn't for three. He had, that, that prayer was based on the confidence from Deuteronomy chapter number 11. And you know what we need today? What separates Elijah from Brad sometimes, and maybe you'd find in your own life, is Elijah didn't just read the Bible as a check off. He just didn't do it just because, well, that's what you're supposed to do as a Christian. He truly believed what God said. And so he stood before that king and he said, hey, it's not going to rain because of what, you're, what you've done, your sin. He had confidence in God's word. We look at these stories of men and women in the Bible. They did amazing things for God. And we sometimes think, ah, that's not me. But all of these that we're looking at, I'm, I think I'm looking at some pretty common people. Some of you are pretty special, I know. But you're pretty common people, so we qualify as that. I think there's some courageous, courageous people in here that's only going to come from trusting God. But are we committed and are we confident in God's word? Introductory lesson into Elijah, but that's where it started for him. He just comes onto the scene out of nowhere. He stands before this wicked power couple and he says, it's not going to rain. And he's shaking everything up. And over the next few weeks, as we continue on this, we're going to see God's taking him through that journey of learning to trust him. God's going to put him in some situations that are difficult. And it's even going to get Elijah to the place later on, as we're foreshadowing ahead, where he says, God, just kill me. I'm ready to die. How does he get there? If this, this same guy is going to be there in a little bit, if he can get there, so can you and I. And so we're going to talk through more principles as we go throughout this study over the next five weeks. But here's the man that we're going to be talking about. And I hope that you would take some time throughout this week and think about Elijah. Think about these C's that we talked about, commitment, courage, and all this. And say, God, am I truly committed to you no matter what you ask me to do or no matter what you allow to come into my life? Let's pray.